Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, 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 guys. Welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. Now, it's a very loud world that we live in, and especially for your customers. If you are trying to attract the right sort of attention, how the heck do you go about doing that? We live in this world of social media. We live in this world of distraction marketing where everyone's valuable time is pulled in all sorts of directions. And that is exactly the issue that we're going to define, challenge, and conquer today with my fantastic guest. And it's really, really difficult to just do this. It's so I find it so hard with this podcast to cut through the noise. So how can we stand out in a crowded market by creating exciting ideas that will grab the attention of clients, readers, listeners, or whatever else you would like to attract to your business? And as I said, I've got a very exciting guest today, someone who is a public relations guru, a thought leadership expert, and he's also the author of the Thought Leadership Manual. So it gives me great, great pleasure to welcome to the show, Mr. Tim Prizeman. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you for inviting me to appear. You are extremely welcome. And I think this is such an important topic because it is a loud world that we live in. And I'm looking forward to to digging in to see how us small business owners, we're all in this same boat, how we can create these ideas and how we can get them in front of our clients and attract the right sort of people. But before we do that, Tim, let's just talk about you for a second. What is it you do? And specifically, let's talk about the book. What is the Thought Leadership Manual? How did it take shape? Well, I run a, a public relations thought leadership consultancy called Kelso Consulting. We've been around uh, 17 years and we tend to operate mainly in the professional services, consultancy services, business, technology space. And uh, people listening to this will know that, for instance, uh, the accountancy market is uh, very crowded and undifferentiated. Uh, for most businesses, there's a plethora of accountancy firms. And they all pretty much look and feel very similar, similar people, often people who've worked in the, uh, each other's firms and moved around and market themselves in a very similar way. And the problem they face, which is very similar to all sorts of other markets and consumer markets, uh, retail, all sorts of other markets is how do you stand out against uh, your competitors and indeed just uh, stand out against all the other things competing for the attention of clients and customers. And part of our role is to help businesses solve that. And then having solved that with some interesting things to say, projected it so that they they are indeed grabbing people's attention and using that to build business. Um, Now, a lot of this sort of activity, particularly where it involves research, but we're not necessarily going to dwell on research in this conversation, gets labelled thought leadership, which is a a slightly jargony, in fact, perhaps terribly jargony, uh, American term that's gained popularity in the past 12 to 15 years. Now, my background is um, I've been doing these sorts of campaigns with uh, 
big and mid-sized firms since before the term thought leadership was around. They were called other things in those days. But whether you use the term thought leadership or go-to firm or recognized expert or, you know, leading specialist or whatever the term it is, um, the term has some good value for it because it uh, first of all, it has the word thought in it, which shows you do have to use a little bit of brain power in there. It's not something that you can delegate to uh, um, some some bright people and they'll, uh, uh, you know, put a nice colour on it and you'll stand out. It's all about using a bit of thought. And the, uh, the bit about leadership, well, leadership has a number of meanings, but most of them revolve around some sort of notion that you uh, inspire people to want to follow you. You've got to be worth following. And so that it has uh, some, if you look at it that way, the ter- it, you know, thought leadership, you could say, have ideas worth, uh, in, uh, you know, that are worth influencing people, ideas that uh, people will find worth listening to and following. I think the, the the words thought leadership, I think they are thrown about quite a lot. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. And I'd just like to dig into the book actually for a second, because the thought leadership manual, you know, that, that sort of implies that it's a, a workbook, if you like, you know, an end-to-end process for, for becoming a thought leader. Is that the case? Is that what you set out to achieve with that? And, you know, how's that all going with the book? Uh, yes, no, very much that was the case there. Um, when I set out to write the book about a year ago, there were surprisingly few books on the subject. If you go to Amazon, there's still only a handful on thought leadership, whereas if you put in something like social media or digital marketing, um, you'll, you know, two, two days later, you'll still be scrolling through them. And what I wanted to achieve was uh, exactly that, a workbook. It's set out like that. It starts with building the business case, identifying the challenge. It moves through different stages. It tackles the thing that is uh, missing from so many books on the subject, which is how do you actually go about generating some interesting ideas? And then the second bit is you've got an idea you think is really interesting. How do you tell if it is really interesting or is how, or is it a duff idea you've just convinced yourself? Is there's an awful lot of people who put out things they think are interesting, but actually it turns out to be uh, thought followership. You know, they're just saying the same old stuff as everyone else. And then there's a section which broadly gets termed leveraging the hell out of it, which is having put all this effort into coming up with some interesting things to say, some good ideas, how do you get the maximum marketing bang for the buck? Because there are plenty of firms who've invested large amounts of money in thought leadership or research or surveys, and they produce some very nice reports on it, and their cupboards are full of them, but they never really seem to do very much with them. So again, the, the book's all about how to uh, avoid that by having all the uh, um, different options considered, assessed, uh, preparation done. So once it's ready, you can uh, have a very successful sales and marketing campaign. It sounds like a complete book for anyone wanting to get started with that. And so that that's a really fantastic template for people. And you mentioned something there, Tim, about the ideas. You know, you, that's, and that's what we're here to talk about today is how can you really stand out in this crowded market by creating these exciting ideas? So I just want to get your thoughts on the problem. You know, what is the landscape that we're in at the moment? Is it this noisy world that we live in? Is it is this actually a genuine problem for small business people? 
Well, it, it is a genuine problem, but it's not as new as people think. Um, a great, really great example of thought leadership from uh, the days gone by was The Wealth of Nations by uh, the famous Scottish economist uh, Adam Smith. In fact, he created the economics profession. He would have considered himself a moral philosopher. And his work is still quoted today. People use terms from it like the invisible hand. Um, it's, you know, 250 300 years on, 250 years on, it's, uh, you know, still a fantastic book. And how did he promote it? Well, he did, he couldn't blog or things like that. So he set out on a European lecture tour, which uh, if he was uh, around today, he would be doing interviews such as this and blogging and tweeting on the subjects instead. But um, if you look up on Wikipedia, there's a very interesting quote there from uh, his printer. And in those days, the printer would have been a very highly paid, um, educated man. because It was very sophisticated. Well, not to say printers aren't nowadays. They may well be, but particularly in those days, and he complains about the short attention span of modern readers in it and uh, how anyone investing the time into Adam Smith's uh, four-tone book will be rewarded with a constant delight of good ideas. So, short attention span of modern readers does sound like a Generation Y type description, but it was uh, the complaint in uh, Georgian England as well. Um, having said that, things have evolved. We now uh, do have an environment where people read newspapers less and less. They access the media online. Often it's through things that are very transitory, like tweets. They uh, duck and dive around. It, the um, new technology means once upon a time it was very expensive to publish to people. Now it's free to publish to something that can be theoretically seen all around the world by most of the population. So there, there is this noisy environment and you do have to achieve cut through. Um, part of the solution is thinking about actually who it is you want to talk to. And part of the problem is the reason it's so noisy is because people have very broad, and I would say too broad definition of who they are targeting. If you are targeting everybody, then of course it's very noisy because you are competing against everybody. Whereas if you have a niche market, you aren't competing against everybody. You can have a very targeted message that is very clear, very memorable, very relevant, and you're not competing against everybody. You're, talk you're competing against very few people. So part of the, uh, the, the, the noise reduction strategy, as it were, is to put a bit more thought, not just into the ideas, but into the initial targeting. I find this problem um, often with firms of accountants I work with. I say, who do you target? And they say SME businesses. Now, other than uh, the public sector, the charities and a few hundred corporates, Every business is an SME. Um, there's hundreds of thousands of SMEs and all the other accountants target them, all the banks, all the lawyers, all these people target them. It's not surprising it's far, um, 
they don't stand out and they find it hard to be memorable. But as soon as you start targeting particular niches within that, then you can have a tone of voice that really cuts through. I think you're right. What you're saying there about the, especially the the idea of cutting through, I find that really, really interesting. And I think that applies to so many areas of business. You know, when you talk about branding cutting through, you talk about um, marketing campaigns cutting through, everything needs to get through this noise and the attention span that you mentioned, you know, everything is taken in via a tweet or a social media engagement, you know, that it becomes very difficult to target people. And one of the things that struck me from the topic that you'd actually sent into the show was the idea of creating these exciting ideas. And this is a relatively broad, I guess it's a broad statement, you know, creating exciting ideas. So where do you start to work with people? Where if someone has this problem, they feel like they're not cutting through the noise, where can they start to look? What can they do internally to start to move into this realm? Well, there's a number of things, but I think you've got to remember what makes an exciting idea. Well, it we're, we're talking in the context of business, so it needs to be something either that, shall we say, is particularly well, it needs to be particularly relevant to me in some way. It could be relevant because it deals with a goal I need to achieve. It could be particularly relevant because it tells me something I don't know, but is actually really important to my business. Or maybe it uh, helps me deal with a problem that's frustrating me at the moment. But to you know, to find someone who's telling me interesting things I didn't know. Um, or something that's thought-provoking, that would uh, certainly constitute an idea that would uh, uh, be exciting and that a client or customer would want to talk to you further about rather than, shall we say, talking about bland, generic things. The other thing that people go wrong with is they say, okay, we're going to create some exciting ideas. Let's have a brainstorm. They get around the table and the first thing they say is, well, what do we want to sell and how are we going to make our services more interesting? Now, people do want to know about your services, but that's quite late down the consideration uh, pipeline. You know, people aren't really interested in uh, how your audit methodology works unless they are pitching uh, their audit. People don't really want to know um, how the different drop-down windows on your software work unless they're quite advanced on a evaluation stage. What people tend to, um, you know, firms want to talk about their features. Maybe they're more sophisticated. They want to talk about their benefits. These are all great when people are in buying mode. But most of the time, and this is the, the catch-22 you have to overcome, people aren't in buying mode. And as soon as you start to sell to them, they put up a barrier because they think, oh God, someone's trying to sell me something, wasting my time with something I don't want to buy. So up come the barriers. But the problem then is when people do enter buying mode, they've already largely made up their mind who they want to use. So you have this classic uh, uh, conundrum, which is particularly the case with senior level sales to um, business owners. and But it's also the same with uh, consumers as well. Um, how do you tell to someone who isn't in buying mode uh, and yet when they do go into buying mode, they'll have already made their mind up. That's a really interesting point. I think you bring up a really, really 
fantastic, I guess, fantastic insight because it's that buying mode that so many people forget about. I find it so difficult sometimes um, when I'm working with clients from a marketing perspective to talk about this buying mode because you're absolutely right, Tim. What they do is they instantly go, right, here's what we want to sell. And what I always encourage people to do is think about, well, look, what extra value can you bring to people? How can you generate some excitement? How can you create some value for these people without looking sales and without actually being salesy? And is there something to be said for the kind of the free stuff? And I'm not talking the cheap giveaways or, you know, giving anything away for free. I'm talking about the value, creating things and communications that people actually use. Is that something that you advocate? And, you know, can people get started with this themselves? Um, very much so is the short answer. I think what the um, trap people need to avoid falling into is giving away what is their valuable service so uh, or their product. So um, let's take the analogy of a restaurant. You certainly, uh, there's nothing wrong with giveaways, discounts, things like that. But at the end of the day, if you give the whole meal away for free, <laughs> you go out of business very quickly. And it's the same for whether it's PR agents like myself or all sorts of other businesses. You've got to strike this balance between giving something away for free, but not giving away the things you want to sell for free. You want to give away something that whets the appetite. So the person thinks, oh, that was good. Um, I'll pay for the, the full service. Uh, you don't want people going away and thinking, oh, that, that freebie was great and uh, it's met all my needs and I don't need to use these guys. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I, I'm just wondering how, if if we're sat there, you know, we're in our office listening to this show or we're driving to work, or uh, maybe in the gym, how can we start to stimulate some of these ideas? So I'm thinking specifically about becoming a thought leader in your niche, creating that kind of value without giving everything away for free. Where do, where do we start? Um, what I think people need to do, and again, with professional advisors, I'm often surprised by how little they know about their their clients, their excellent lawyers they are excellent accountants they you know probably you know very good bank managers but as soon as you ask them about the challenges facing their clients they don't really know other than perhaps beyond a very narrow remit of you know the accountant will know the tax challenges and impending um accounting standard changes the lawyer will know about impending regulatory changes but what what they've got to do is take a step up and think much more commercially about, so what is the big challenge that my clients are facing? And from that, they need to start um, communicating in a way that's relevant to those challenges. So for instance, if I pick up the phone to a, uh, a I could say a company that exports at the moment, if I pick up the phone and say, do you want to me to review your foreign exchange exposure? You know, they'll probably think, well, not really. Um, whereas if I picked up the phone to a company that exports and said, uh, China's just uh, devalued the renminbi, you've got lots of uh, businesses you deal with that are uh, fashion and high value um, um, 
uh, brands, they're going to be affected to it by it. It will probably affect, have a knock-on effect on you. Would you like me to look into it? A you know a, a firm may well say, "Blooming hell, uh, yeah, could you do that?" So that's the difference between trying to sell something and dare I say, understanding your client and. Uh, presenting this a way that deals with the, the biggest challenges they face. And indeed, in that case, perhaps alerting them to to something. So I use that as, as an example. But so for um, firms, there's a number of things they need to do. But the first, the easiest thing I have found, if people are thinking, well, I don't really know my clients' businesses that well, is... To, to well, you, you need to start doing it. And there's a number of things which are very easy. I mean, the first thing is just to read their trade publication. So if you deal with a lot of uh, garage businesses, you read Four Court Trade Monthly. And if you deal with a lot of law firms, you read The Lawyer and Legal Week. Um, the second thing to do is simply ask your clients. Now, a lot of people um, recoil from this. They say, but my client would expect me to know that. Well, only, you know, your client will expect you to know that only if you've told them this. Whereas, um, clearly, I, you know, most clients welcome people asking interested questions about their business and showing an interest. So, um, you know, all I'd say to people is just get on and do it and uh, see what the reaction is. The third thing, and now this is something that always works well. Now, to, to take a step back, if if you had a multi-million pound advertising budget and you'd employed someone like Saatchi and Saatchi to do a great big campaign for you, the first thing Saatchi and Saatchi would do is bring in a focus group of people and discuss ideas and get, get a lot of colour and depth from that sort of focus group, a focus group comprising you know people who are the target market. Well, you can have a focus group as well. And the easiest way to fo- have a focus group is to invite a few clients around for a discussion dinner or a discussion lunch. Um, again, a lot of people think, well, we can't do that because we're not the experts. You don't have to be the expert. You are hosting the lunch. You are not leading the lunch. They're not expecting you to get there and perform unless you say you are going to. You could invite uh, someone to speak at it. But my experience of these things is if you do a good job of mixing people, you know, they're all mature adults. They know how to have a conversation and uh, they get on and do it. And you can steer the conversation into the direction of big challenges their business faces. And if it's full of business owners, there's nothing business owners like more than talking about big challenges they face to uh, um, in the company of other business owners. And all your job is to uh, uh, sit back and take a mental note of it and you're gaining some really, really good quality insights at the same time as positioning yourself as one of the gang. That's really interesting. I like the idea particularly, just distilling those three tips right down. I think there's something to be said for that immersion and becoming a valuable resource, a place to go for people that wouldn't necessarily come to you for that kind of reason. I like the idea of that positioning and that that truly is becoming the thought leader, isn't it? It's putting yourself in that position and allowing people to come to you through giving that value out. And everything that you suggested there, back to what we said about the value, giving the free stuff away, that's all free, but it's not what you are selling. 
absolutely. And it's some of the cheapest form of marketing. You know, if you hire a, a private room in a restaurant, it depends whether you're in central London or somewhere a bit cheaper. If it's central London, you might pay up to, well, I, I can find a good restaurant for less than this, but you could quite easily be charged 100 quid a head. Um, but... Um, for uh, outside of central London glamour locations, you can pay an awful lot less than that. You might pay, you know, pay 20, 30 pounds a head and you've hosted a brilliant marketing thing. Everyone goes away having a great time. If you've got a good mix of clients and prospects there, the clients do a selling job to your prospects. Um, your clients, you know, you're having conversations with them as often as not when my clients do it. They Their clients say, oh, while you're here, I've got a job for you. So... It's one of the cheapest and easiest forms of marketing. One of the, the the big things I always take away from things like that is the fact that it feels counterintuitive to do that. Like we're all a little bit lazy. I would completely attest to me being way too lazy to think about that. And it's ridiculous because it's valuable. It's not that hard to do. And when I actually think about it, I know that it's the right thing to do. And, you know, I've got great friends, people like Judy Robinet and Dory Clark who completely advocate just being a connector and what you're saying there Tim is just facilitate conversations and actually the business kind of knocks on your door doesn't it um, it, it does, particularly if you say, well, we're just going to make this, whether it's quarterly or three times a year or something. Like that. So you get into a routine. I mean, quite frankly, if it's happening that regularly, you can, if you've got a secretary or an assistant, you almost delegate most of the effort down to them. You've really got to, uh, you know, make your job simply making sure it's a good mix of, invi uh, of guests invited and uh, turn up and uh, listen to what's said. But uh, it isn't just a tactic that works for small firms. In, in the book, one of the firms I use as an example is Clifford Chance, one of the world's largest law firms. And uh, clearly they do things on a grander scale, but they're part of they, and they have a definition of what sport leadership for them. But part of the, one of their definitions includes hosting such forums where in their case, they get leading experts to talk um, and discuss issues. Well, Maybe their people will contribute, maybe they won't, but they see hosting the com uh, hosting the conversation, as perhaps they might put it, as the way they position themselves as a thought leader because it's them that's facilitated it. It's very much the same for smaller businesses. By facilitating things, you get the kudos, you get the connections, you you know, position yourself at the heart of it. Um, quite frankly, whether you've said anything or not is over. You know, if you if you if you give lots of great insights, that's over and above that. You you know, I would say in the first instance, if you're not confident, just use it as a a, a listening opportunity. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's that's a massive takeaway. And Tim, what I'd like to do now is just just kind of distill down the three actionable tips. So just specifically for people listening out there. Just let's talk through, if you want to get started being a thought, lead, thought leader, excuse me, if you want to start creating exciting ideas and things that are going to attract the attention of clients, here are three things that we, we can all start implementing. So, Tim, if we can distill them down. So, actionable tip number one for people, sir. Okay. So, I the, the first tip is very much understand the big problems your clients face and focus on those, not focus on the uh, products you want to or services that you want to try and sell. Ultimately, 
you want to be able to relate back to these services. But ultimately, if your services don't uh, address the major concerns of your uh, clients or your market, well, I would suggest they need to and you need to think how that can be achieved. But the, the, the big thing is understand their problems so you can make your features and benefits relevant to them. Love that. Fantastic. And actionable tip number two, please, sir. Um, number two is do actively set aside time for brainstorming ideas with your team. I'm, you know, I would say that often your good ideas do come to you when your mind is quieter and you're walking the dog or having a shower or things like that, but often they don't. And um, there is nothing better to come up with, you know, if you've got a small team, there's actually probably lots of really good insights, perspectives that you're completely unaware of. And by getting the team together, getting them thinking, getting different perspectives, um, you will get a wealth of ideas. And the thing to do is to make it something systematic, do it on a regular basis. But the key thing is don't sit around the table and say, what are we going to try and sell? sit around the table and think, what are the biggest challenges? What are the mega trends that are affecting our customers? And by mega trends, I mean the big things that uh, are affecting them, not, uh, you know, small issues. What are the big issues they should worry about? You know, is it the rise of China? Is it the decline of China? Is it the aging population? Is it uh, the, uh, you know, living in uh, an economy where um, interest rates are likely to go up? What What are the big challenges facing them? Perfect. Fantastic stuff. And the third and final actionable tip, sir. If you look at um, some of the most successful thought leadership initiatives and things like the McKinsey Quarterly is uh, probably the granddaddy of them all, and it's a, it, um, they are repeated. In the case of the McKinsey Quarterly, it's been repeated quarterly for 50 years and just showcases some of McKinsey's good ideas. And it is one of the most prestigious places for you to appear. It has a huge impact. It's even shaped our language. Things like the war for talent was an expression uh, created by McKinsey and uh, popularised through their uh, McKinsey quarterly. So um, the, the tip to take away from that is if you're doing an initiative, have one that you can repeat. I talked about how um, repeating the lunches it becomes automatic, it becomes expected, it becomes a feature. Quite frankly, it becomes much easier to do and you can delegate it down. Whether it is organising an event, conducting research, um, whatever your particular initiative is, do it on a repeatable basis. I've worked with some big companies whose names you'd all recognise and they have some very successful initiatives, but in other times, people have, have organised an initiative and I've said to them, well, when are you going to do it again? And they say, oh, it was so much work. We're not going to bother doing it again. We'll do something else. And I think they've slightly missed the point because the whole reason it was a lot of work was because when you do something for the first time, it is a lot of work and it gets easier when you repeat it. All they're doing is repeating the same mistake by uh, starting off new initiatives all the time because they 
uh, they have all the pain at the start without reaping the benefits of having learned how to do it quickly. So again, my, my third actionable tip is repeat. Success is in the consistency. That's a great quote from Mr. Jay Allen, a former guest on the show. So I completely, completely agree with that. Tim, that has been so insightful. Thank you so much for that. And some fantastic actionable tips there at the end. And just before we wrap it up, where can people connect with you online, please, sir? Um, my uh, Kelso website is www.kelsopr.com and you'll find me lurking on there. Otherwise, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Tim Priseman, P-R-I-Z-E-M-A-N. So at Tim Priseman or KelsoPR.com. Super stuff. Thank you so much, Tim, for joining me today. And for you guys listening out there, I hope that's been insightful and valuable. But don't forget, everything that myself and Tim have spoken about will be available over on the show notes at excellence-expected.com. And whilst you're over there, don't forget you can pick up your free copy of the essential 14-day guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. Thanks again for listening, folks. And don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, you know this, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.